scripture reading from this evening will be from 2 Corinthians 9.15. Again, 2 Corinthians 9.15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Thank you, Wesley, for reading our scripture. We're grateful that you're here tonight. We're glad that you've chosen to come back, and we appreciate so much your willingness to be here participate in our worship service. It's good to have Tish Clark with us tonight. She was here last week. We're glad that she's back, BJ's wife. Also glad to have BJ's dad, TJ Clark, with us, and we appreciate him. He has been a gospel preacher for many, many years and is a teacher at the school, and so we appreciate them being with us tonight. We're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, as we think about the words of Paul when he said, thanks be to God for his unspeakable or indescribable gift. I want to direct your attention tonight in light of that passage to the book of 1 John. And there's some things I want you to think about in connection with being grateful to God. How do you say thank you? How do you adequately say thank you to someone who has done something that is indescribable to you? There are times in life when people go out of their way to do things on our behalf and we try to the best of our ability to express our thanksgiving. And sometimes it's difficult to convey in human words the depth of our thanksgiving. When I think about what God has done for us, it seems to me that it is difficult for us to put into human words exactly what God has done for us. In other words, how do, we say, how do we say thank you to a God that has been so gracious and so good to us? Three things I want to share with you very quickly tonight. First of all, I believe that we ought to be thankful to God for loving us. The Bible talks about the love of God. As a matter of fact, in 1 John chapter 4, in verse 8, John said, God is love. There are a lot of attributes that the scriptures use to identify the character, the nature of God. But John said one of the characteristics that helps us to understand the character and nature of God is love. Jeremiah said many, many years ago, speaking on behalf of God to the children of Israel, when God said, I have loved you with an everlasting love, we talk about the manifestation of God's love for us. Listen, if you would, to what John writes in 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 9. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Sometimes we talk about the depth of God's love. And we ask the question, how much does God love us? Well, I think John describes the depth of his love. God loved us enough to send his only begotten son, that is, the only one of his kind. Well, why did he do that? That we might live through him. He goes on to say in verse 10, In this is the love of God, or in this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us, and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The word propitiate means to render favorable, to conciliate. 
It really goes back to the Old Testament and the mercy seat and the blood that was sprinkled on the lid. And I think about the cross and the fact that the cross is the meeting place between God and man. The Bible talks about how Jesus Christ is our mediator. And Jesus Christ is the one that has brought us together so that we might enjoy a relationship with God the Father. And so the depth of His love, and then what about the design of His love? Listen again to what John said. He sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. Verse 10, He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. And then look at verse 14. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. God had a purpose in mind when it came to the sending of His Son. God sent His Son so that we might enjoy the blessings of salvation. The angel of God that announced to Joseph in a dream the birth of Jesus said He would be called Jesus. And that angel said, And it is He that shall save His people from their sins. Jesus came to save those of us who belong to the human family from sin and unrighteousness. The Bible talks about how all have sinned and come short of the glory of God in Romans 3, verse 23. The remedy, the answer to sin is Christ. And so, God has manifested His love toward us. Now, here's a question. God loves us, so how do we reciprocate that love? Look at verse 19. In verse 19, John said we love Him because He first loved us. I don't think love was ever intended to be a one-way street. If you take, for example, a marriage, if only one of the persons involved in a marriage demonstrates love or is, has a loving disposition towards his or her mate, that marriage is ultimately not going to stand the test of time, is it? It's going to fail. Now, sometimes people stay together. They really, one, one person, one party doesn't necessarily love the other, but they stay together. But God intends for love to be a two-way street. And so God has shown his love for us through the sending of Christ. So the question is, how then do we reciprocate that love? How do we show that love? Two things here. First, I think there ought to be gratitude. Gratitude on our part. Again, the words of Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, thanks be to God for His indescribable, His unspeakable gift. Paul, in writing to the church at Thessalonica, said, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, watching therein with thanksgiving. If anybody, if anybody ought to be grateful in this life, it ought to be Christians. It ought to be those of us who belong to the body of Christ that enjoy the blessings of His redeeming blood. So first, there ought to be gratitude, and then secondly, what about our attitude? How do we show our love? As a parent, there are things that we do. We do certain things in the home. Why? Because we love our, because we love our children. I understand it's our job 
Think about things that a mother does on behalf of her child or on behalf of her children. Washes clothes, folds those clothes, irons clothes, prepares food, cleans the house, does all these things on behalf of her household. Well, why does she do that? Because she loves her family. Well, somebody says that's her job. Well, Jesus said, after we've done all those things that have been commanded us, we're still unprofitable servants. So how then do we show our love to God? In 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, John said, Hereby we do know that we know Him, if we keep His commandments. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, listen to what John said. This is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous or burdensome. We demonstrate, we show our love to God by acknowledging His will in our lives. In other words, we willingly put into practice what the Bible teaches. We do it out of gratitude, yes. But there is this attitude of obedience. Sometimes children demonstrate obedience in the home. And there are, there are children that will not disappoint, will not disobey their parents because they don't want to hurt them. And I think by the same token, as children of God, we want to do what God says. Why? Because He loves us. Because He's been so good to us, so gracious to us. And we want to reciprocate that love. There's a second thing I want you to see in our study tonight. We talk about thankfulness to God. Because He loves us. There's a second reason we ought to be grateful to God, and that is because He listens to us. Turn over, if you would, and look at chapter 5, verse 14. In chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, John addresses the fact that God willingly listens to us. There are two thoughts here. First, the conditions of prayer. Listen, if you would, to what John said. This is a confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Let me just pause there. There are certain conditions that must be met in order for our prayers to be heard. Now, obviously prayer is a tremendous blessing to those of us who are children of God. And John here is saying one of the conditions is that we are to pray submissively to God. That we're to be submissive to Him in our prayer life. Back in Proverbs chapter 15, Solomon said, The Lord is far from the wicked, but He hears the prayer of the righteous. Peter said it this way in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 12. The eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. His ears are open unto their prayers. But he said, the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. And so to know that there is a God in heaven who is willing to listen to our prayers. So what about the conditions of prayer? Well, there are certain things that are spelled out in Scripture. We talk about praying with faith. James chapter 1, James said, If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. We ask how? In faith. But we think about being persistent in our prayer lives, 
Jesus said in Luke chapter 18 that men ought to always pray and not to faint. But what about praying submissively? A lot of times in life, there are things that we want, we desire, we crave. And what John is saying here is that when we approach the throne of God, we ought to do so with the attitude of submission. Do we have an example of that? Yes, we do. You remember Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Matthew talks about when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, bowing in the presence of God the Father, three times saying unto God, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, he said, not as I will, but your will be done. I think one of the most difficult things to do in prayer is to allow God's will to take precedence over our will. To recognize that God is in control, that God is sovereign, and that ultimately we want to be in compliance with His will. We want His will to take precedence in our lives. So, the conditions of prayer, but note if you would the confidence in prayer. Do you have confidence that God hears your prayers? As a child of God, as a person of faith, as somebody who is striving to live in harmony with the will of God, we ought to have confidence in our prayer life, shouldn't we? Think about all the times that Jesus spent in prayer to God. Numerous passages of Scripture identified the relationship that Jesus had to the Father through prayer. In Mark chapter 1, verse 35, Jesus arose very early in the morning, went out to a solitary place, and there prayed to God. In Luke chapter 6, before selecting the apostles, he spent the night in prayer to God. The Bible says that we are to pray without ceasing, that our lives are to be lives of prayer. In other words, we're to have a prayerful disposition. Again, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. Remember Paul in writing to the church at Philippi, Philippians chapter 4, in nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And I would point this out very quickly, that one of the things that tends to rob us peace and tranquility in our Christian lives is anxiety and worry. And the way to offset that is prayer. That's what Paul said, because in Philippians chapter 4, Paul said, And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And so to recognize that there is a God to whom we can turn in times of difficulty, in times of trial, in times of discouragement. So what about the fact that we are to have confidence in our prayer life. Listen again to what John said. This is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. Think about that. John here is saying, if we pray in accordance with the will of God, the assurance is He hears us. You ever talk to somebody before, and during the course of the conversation, you begin to wonder, are they really listening to me? Is he or she really listening to what I'm saying? You ever have that feeling, talking to somebody, and maybe their eyes are drifting, and you can tell they're not listening? Well, what John is saying is, as a child of God, we don't have to worry about that. Because when we approach the throne of God, God gives us His absolute attention. 
He is, as we say sometimes, all ears. God is listening. And John said, when we pray, when we pray according to his will, he hears us. And then look at verse 15. And if we know that he hears us. Do we know that he hears us? Yes, we do. Solomon said, the Lord hears the prayers of the upright, the righteous, doesn't he? Matter of fact, Solomon said in that same context in Proverbs chapter 15, the prayer of the upright is his delight. God delights in hearing from us. So he said, if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. What's he saying there? He's simply saying that God responds to our prayers, doesn't he? I understand sometimes God says no. Sometimes God says to wait, and then there are times when God says yes. When God says to wait, there are reasons for that. Maybe the case that what we're asking for is not, well, not according to, not according to His will. Could be that God recognizes we're not able to handle what we're asking for. We're not ready for that. But nonetheless, John here is simply saying, look, God hears our prayers. So if God hears us, what does that say to us? Not only does He hear us, but He helps us, doesn't He? You ever had a lot of trouble going on in your life? And because of any number of circumstances, you don't know where to turn, don't know who, you don't know who to turn to, there is always, there is always the opportunity to go to God. Because, number one, we have the assurance He hears us. And number two, we have the assurance He's willing to help us. Now, in Hebrews chapter 4, a passage that ought to be well known to all of us, the Hebrew writer said, Let us therefore draw boldly unto the throne of grace. Well, why is that? That we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You ever have times in your life when you have needs? I'm talking about you have real needs. You're discouraged, distraught, in despair, life difficult. You've got disabilities, you've got disease you're dealing with. You've got all these things you're trying to battle in life. So, to whom do you turn? Well, sometimes we have the opportunity to turn to our friends, our family members. There are times when we can turn to our church family. But above all, what I think what the Scripture is saying is we can turn to God. You remember the words of the psalmist in Psalm 46 when he said, God is a refuge and strength. A very present help when? In trouble. In trouble. So to know that God listens to us. Now you, think about, you think about how grateful you are sometimes when you're facing some tough, tough times. And you go and you pour your heart out to a friend or a family member. And they listen to you. They try to give you advice. They try to encourage you. Sometimes they provide a shoulder to lean on, to cry on. And you walk away and you think about how grateful, how grateful you are for their friendship, for that association. 
Well, let me tell you what. We ought to be grateful to God. That God is there for us. Remember what the psalmist said many, many years ago? He said, this I know. God is for me. Let me tell you what. In this day and time, there may not be a lot of folks that will stand with us or be on our side, but God is. Paul said, if God be for us, who can be against us? To know that God is there for us. And the beauty of it is we can pray any time, day or night, 24-7. There's some people in this world that have access to high-ranking officials in government, in the corporate world. And they can pick up the telephone and buzz somebody and talk about certain things. Did you know that as a child of God, we have the ears of the creator of the heavens and the earth? So, tell me somebody more powerful than that. I don't know of anybody. The Bible says the Lord reigns. God is on his throne. God is the all-powerful, all-knowing, ever-present creator, sustainer, and redeemer. There are a lot of powerful people in this world, but they're not all powerful. There are some people in this world that have a lot of intelligence, but they're not all-knowing like God is. God knows you inside and out. He knows when you're hurting. He knows when you're happy. He knows when you're up, when you're down, when you face joys and frustration. Whatever the case may be, God knows about it. So we ought to be grateful to God. Grateful to Him because He loves us. Grateful to Him because He listens to us. And then thirdly, grateful to Him because He gives life to us. Drop down and look at verse 11, chapter 5. Verse John chapter 5, verse 11. Here's what John said. This is a testimony. That God has given us eternal life. Where's the place of eternal life? Listen to what he said. This is a testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The only way to enjoy eternal life is to be in Christ Jesus. Paul said in writing to Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10, Therefore I endure all things for the elect's sake, that they may obtain salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Salvation is in Christ. And the only way that we can get into Christ is to first and foremost believe that He is the Son of God. In other words, that He is the divine Son of the living God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am He. He said, you'll die in your sins. And if you die in your sins, He said, where I am there you cannot come, John chapter 8. And then to repent, to turn from a life of sin. On Pentecost Day, Peter told those people, when they cried out, men and brethren, what shall we do? Because they had been cut to the heart. He said, repent. means to change your life. You're living in sin. You, get, you give up that way of life. And then to confess with your mouth what you believe in your heart, that Jesus is the Son of God, just like the eunuch did in Acts chapter 8, verse 37. He acknowledged Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. And then we must be baptized into Christ, immersed, buried in water, rising to walk in newness of life. Why are we baptized into Christ? Because that's where salvation is. Salvation is in Christ. We've got to be in Christ because that's where the blood is. Jesus shed His blood on Calvary, John 19, 34. In order to appropriate that blood, we must go where it was shed. 
That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Know ye not that all we who are baptized into Christ were baptized into His death. We rise to walk in newness of life. So the place of eternal life, Jesus Christ. Listen to him in verse 12. Well, listen to him again in verse 11. This is the testimony. This is the witness. God has given us eternal life. This life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Now, can we understand that? You ought to be able to understand it. It's as simple as ABC. If we're in Christ, we have life. If we don't have Christ in our life, if we're not putting Him first, if we haven't obeyed the gospel, we don't have life. We don't have the hope of life eternal. So we talk about the promise of eternal life. Second, we think about the place of eternal life. What about the promise of eternal life? Look back at chapter 2, verse 25. Note, if you would, what John said. This is a promise that he has promised us. Eternal life. The Bible says that God cannot lie. God has promised us eternal life. Listen again to what John said. This is a testimony that God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Then he said, These things I have written to you, who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now let me just pause there for a minute. Every single promise in the Scriptures given to us by God, it's either true or false, isn't it? Either what God said is true or it's not true. The Bible says that God has given unto us exceedingly great and precious promises. Sometimes we talk about how there are facts to be believed, commands to be obeyed, and promises to be enjoyed. John is saying here, look, God has promised us eternal life. We live, as Paul would say in Titus chapter 1, verse 2, in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. When you get to the close of your life here on planet earth don't you think the promise of life eternal will become much sweeter don't you want don't you want to trust in the promises of God you remember Jesus in John 14 when he said let not your heart be troubled you believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many mansions he said if it were not so I would have told you what was Jesus saying? He's saying, look, I'm going to prepare for you an eternal abiding place. And if I go to prepare a place for you, he said, I'll come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you may be also. So this promise of eternal life. And then, very quickly, the prerequisite. Look again at verse 13. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Let me just pause here very quickly before we talk about the prerequisite to eternal life. We ought to know, and I mean we ought to absolutely know as children of God that we have eternal life. That if something were to happen to us and we were to step outside this temporal veil of existence, that look, we're going home to be with God. We shouldn't live with this think so, hope so, maybe so attitude, but rather we ought to live with conviction, with confidence. Listen again to what John said. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. If somebody asks you 
tonight or tomorrow, next week, if somebody were to ask you, do you know that you have eternal life, what would you say? Well, I hope so. You know, I think I do. John's saying, look, you need to get rid of this think so, maybe so, hope so attitude. You need to know that as a child of God who is walking in the light, Remember what John said, if we walk in the light, he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. The blood of his son Jesus Christ does what? Cleanses us from all sin. Hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. So here we are walking in the light, we're walking in harmony with the will of God. What's John saying? Look, if you're walking in harmony with the will of God, then you can know, K-N-O-W, you can know that you have eternal life. I have to live in this think so, hope so, maybe so I don't have to live with that kind of an attitude. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, he contrasted that which is temporal to that which is eternal. And he said, For we know that if the earthly house of our tabernacle be dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Did you hear what he said? For we know, that's exactly what John said, we know. I would hope and pray that all of us who are trying to live a faithful life will leave here tonight knowing we know that we have eternal life. So what's the prerequisite to having that home in heaven? Look, at, look if you would, what he says. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and that you may what? That you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. In other words... You keep on keeping on. You live a faithful life day in and day out. Do you struggle sometimes? Yes. Do you stumble and fall sometimes? Absolutely. There are times in life when we stumble, we fall. And in light of that, John said, what do we do? We confess our sins. And he's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look, there's a lot of difference in somebody who just walks away from the faith and says, you know what, I really don't care about living a Christian life anymore. And somebody who is living a penitent, faithful life, and striving to the best of his or her ability to walk in the light. And here's somebody, they're trying to live a Christian life, they're trying to be salt in this world and light in this world. They're trying to live in compliance with the will of God and they stumble and fall and they acknowledge that, they repent of that, God forgives them and what happens? They continue enjoying the blood of Christ. Now, I want to ask you something. In light of all those blessings, don't you think we ought to be grateful? How do you say thank you? How do you say thank you to a God in heaven who's been so good to us, who blessed us in so many ways? I mean, you think about here is a God in heaven that loves us. He's willing to listen to us. He has willingly given us life through His Son, Jesus. I said a minute ago, love isn't a one-way street. One of the ways you say thank you to God is you live for Him day in and day out. And you try to draw closer to Him. Remember, if, if you're married, you remember when you were dating? If, you were, if you're married, you remember when you were dating? Did you want to spend time with your perspective prospective bride or groom? Did, did you want to spend time together? Did you like hearing from them? The answer is yes. 
If you didn't want to spend time with them, then you married the wrong person. Well, if we genuinely love God with all of our heart, soul, and mind, then we're going to want to spend time with Him, aren't we? Through His Word, through prayer, through worship. It's not this attitude of, do I have to do that? When, when you were dating, did somebody have to coerce you to go on a date? Or if they sent you a letter, or well, back in my day, you sent letters. Use the old handheld phone, you know, you dialed it up. You don't even have to do that anymore. If you got a letter in the mail, you said, man, I sure hate to read that letter today. And you wanted to read that letter. You might want to read it two or three times, let it soak in. Did she really say that? Is that what she means? Look, we ought to spend time in this book every day. We ought to be on our knees praying to God every day. We ought to be grateful to him for what he's done for us. No wonder John said we love him because he first loved us. If you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, I want to encourage you to come to Christ. Believing that Jesus is the Son of God. And do just what we said a moment ago, obey the gospel. If you're baptized into Christ, you can rise to walk in newness of life. All your sins will be washed away. Acts 22, 16. And if you're faithful unto death, the promise is the crown of life. If you're here tonight and your life is not what it ought to be, look, you need to understand God will, God will forgive and take you back. James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Could we pray with you and for you tonight? We stand and sing.